0: Welcome to a special edition of the Blue Angel Phantoms video podcast. In this episode, we delve into the past with an exclusive, never-before-released interview featuring retired Navy Vice Admiral and the first appointed commanding officer of the Blue Angel Squadron, Tony Less. It was the fall of 1973, a critical period for the Blue Angels as they faced potential extinction following a tragic mid-air collision and an impending fuel crisis. Boss Les was given the task of leading the restructuring of the Blue Angels to an official naval squadron and orchestrating a ship to the McDonnell Douglas A-4 Skyhawk. In this interview, Boss Les shares intricate details about his appointment as the team's first commanding officer, the initial hurdles encountered by the A-4 Skyhawk, and the strategic modifications made to the demonstration to ensure the team's seamless progress into the future. The audio portion of this interview, recorded over two and a half decades ago by aviation author and historian Nick Veronico for his book Blue Angels, A Fly By History, will be complemented by captivating photos taken by former team photographer Jim Preston. So sit back and immerse yourself in this remarkable piece of history featuring boss Tony Less.
1: What what did you have to do to, to rebuild the team? We, we, you know, when we talk about leading the team after the accidents, we changed airplanes, of course. Okay. And uh, the airplane that uh, they had been flying in '73 uh, was the Phantom and they F4, and it was, of course, maintenance and uh, maintenance intensive, required uh, a lot more sky to operate in and burn a hell of a lot more fuel. And when you talk about uh, 1973, you also remember there was an energy crisis there. And that's the reason, one of the reasons for going to the A-4. Uh, We had to uh, gather up A-4 airplanes uh, in uh, single-seat mode or A-4F mode is what they they decided to go to the Foxtrot uh, version or the F version of the airplane. Uh, an airplane that had the J-52P-408 engine in it, and uh, that engine gave you 11,200 pounds of thrust, and uh, we were able to strip the airplane down, taking some of the armament off of it and and uh, some of the racks and uh, things like that th- took that hump off of the back and so forth and uh, get it down to where it weighed 11,300. So you had essentially... A one-to-one thrust-to-weight ratio in the airplane without any fuel—a dry, a dry airplane. Right. So, so that was one of the things we uh, uh, spent some time on, and actually, that was more for Ken Wallace and Lou Chatham and some of those guys uh, down there. You know, they stood them down in August, and we didn't start getting our airplanes until uh, uh, late October. Uh, or mid mid October, I guess, of '73, and uh, I I had a, I was a squadron skipper on a a deployed squadron in the Mediterranean on the Independence, and I remember my change of command was sometime in October. I forget the exact date, but I I left the Mediterranean and uh, and sort of reported back home was Jacksonville, and I was swung back through Jacksonville and then reported over to Pensacola. And then went straight on, and the only place they were training, uh, in the A4 anymore where they had any single seat airplanes was out at Lemoore at, uh, VA 127. So I, I wound up going out there and getting some refresher in the A4 and then, and then coming back, uh, to Pensacola in early November. We commissioned at a squadron was another thing we had to do. Uh, we, that was part of the, uh, the entire new face that they put on this whole thing we uh therefore i was then the commanding officer instead of the officer in charge as he had been uh, all over those years prior and so we uh we commissioned a the squadron on the 10th of december had uh vice admiral jerry miller who had been the sixth fleet commander uh was uh one of my heroes and he came down and was the guest speaker at that thing. The McDonnell Douglas people were back. I remember that they presented the squadron a painting for our ready room and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, it was a, it was a nice affair. And, and we still, I think the only airplane we had painted at that time in blue angel colors was the two seat. We had one two seat version and, uh, uh, you couldn't fly it in the demonstration. It even had a different engine in it. Uh, and, of course, it was a heavier and bigger airplanes, a, a airplane in the A-4 model. So so we never, ever used it like they were able to use the uh, two-seat F-18s. You really can't tell that they have a two-seat F-18 in the demonstration program, same engines and, and essentially the same airframe with that other cockpit in there. But in the A-4, you couldn't do that. So, the What, only what air- model was your two-seater? At ta4 uh, a ta4j uh-huh. and uh, it had the uh, p8 uh, the j52 p8 engine instead of the p408 a lot less thrust and so anyway uh, it was the one we had painted and had in the hangar for the commissioning ceremony and so forth and then we began getting our airplane our our models our straights And, uh, we got them from China Lake and, uh, in Lemoore and, and, uh, I, I think the Marines, uh, uh, so, so we wound up with eight of those airplanes and, uh, and flew, flew there in Pensacola in December and the first part of January. And early in January, I want to say maybe the 10th, 12th, we went to El Centro and started working up and started painting airplanes and, uh, and training flying uh flying twice a day 7 days a week out there and we did that for 2 months and we were ready to go. Hmm. So that was uh that's that's essentially what we did. We we incorporated some changes in the squadron too. Uh make, you know first off we made the made it the commanding officer and he was a guy who had had previous command. Up until that time he was it was always seemed like it was one of the boys, a, a lieutenant commander Uh, that came back and he was one of the buddies. And that was one of their, one of the things that they determined because of the accidents in 73 that, uh, that, uh, maybe the leader was, uh, a bit too close to the rest of the troops or the rest of the guys. And so, so, uh, I was the first commander in the job that had, that was, came in as a selected commander and, uh, and, then uh, I was the first one that had had a, squ- a prior squadron. We put a doctor in the outfit, who uh, a flight surgeon, who was able to uh, uh, be a confidant of the commanding officer and respond to personality issues and changes and things like that. And I think that that was extremely beneficial. So uh, I, I thought that uh, I had a flight surgeon and uh, the relationship with him was good. He was, it was good with him and all the rest of the team members too. But, but by the same token, he was able to, uh, put his finger on, on, uh, any little problems that might be coming up. And when you're flying that close together and operating that close together and living that close together for that long, uh, in that kind of an environment all year long, you sort of need a guy like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, um, we had an we we did they didn't used to have an admin officer and the skipper wound up uh, spending some of his time more of his time probably than he should have or the ONC did on uh, admin work and so forth and that it was kind of sporadic I guess they had one every now and then but but for the first, or a few years before 1973 they didn't have an admin officer and we got a permanent admin officer and one who stayed there forever to lift some of the paperwork burden off of the guys when when they were back home. And, and of course he worked a lot of paperwork while the rest of the guys were on the road. So when you go back, you, uh, it, it was sort of all done. The maintenance officer, the maintenance crew, uh, we tightened up a little bit on, on them, if you will, in the, the way they, uh, the way they carried on or the way they acted on the road. Uh, we cut down on their numbers and we were able to do that with the a four because of its, uh, uh, Easy maintainability and extraordinary reliability, and uh, so we cut it down to about twenty-five uh, actual maintenance troops for a traveling team, and that way the troops weren't weren't on the road so uh, so much. And uh, let me see. what well, I guess when we made it when we made it a squadron, we you know they had been um, kind of excluding anyone but the pilots, the six actual pilots and uh, maybe the 7th being the public affairs officer and back in those days you didn't have an events coordinator and a narrator uh that sort of thing you had a uh, a public affairs officer i guess seemed to be probably the same guy and he was normally a naval flight officer number 7 and or i guess number 7 or number 7 was the narrator and number 8 was our public affairs officer and, uh, they've turned that into an events coordinator and a public affairs officer and, uh, and a narrator. So they got another body in there. Uh, and that's evolved even since I was there. But, but, uh, we, we did in fact, uh, or we were able to, uh, uh, get that, that public affairs guy, uh, on the road early in the year along with the narrator and, and do a lot more setting up air shows. Uh, than they had done in the past. The other point I wanted to make was that only the six pilots, the narrator, and the public affairs officer, would wear the Blue Angel pins. They were the pilots and, and that sort of thing. And when when we went to a squadron, we uh, made sure that everyone understood they were all Blue Angels, and you got listed in the rosters and the programs. And and we, you know, they've been doing that ever since. And so it's it's added to the cohesiveness or the close knit. Uh, uh, Qualities of the group, hopefully, mm-hmm. anyway, over the years, and that didn't seem to uh, that that really wasn't the case. All the support personnel uh, prior to that seventy three time frame always uh, kind of considered themselves support personnel, and uh, and so that was a, a major flaw that we had to overcome. Mm-hmm. Didn't you develop the three show format: the high show, the low rolling show, and the flat show? Well, I you know, I I can't say that that was uh developed by us. I mean, I I think that uh, they in the past had been doing that sort of thing. I just don't think they called it uh, uh those things. I think they went out and they they did a uh a, a clear weather show and a, and a uh and a bad weather show, I think more than anything else, and we kind of uh decided that with the A4 airplane, we were we were certainly able to do a, a straight flat show if the weather was uh, V F R you could get a thousand and three, a thousand foot ceiling and three miles visibility out of it and and then and then there was uh times when you would be able to do a rolling show is what we called it. And then of course if you had good weather you uh you could do a high show. And what was a rolling show? Oh, we needed about in, in the A four you needed about thirty five hundred feet to be able to do the rolls underneath it and 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 that was, you topped out on a delta roll a little higher than a diamond roll. You could take a diamond around just a little bit faster and, and that sort of thing. So with the delta, with the six planes, you wanted to make sure that you weren't whipping too hard for those two guys out there in the back corners. And so you needed about 3,500 feet of altitude in that roll. And uh, that's what we said. 3,500 feet kept us from nipping into the clouds. Did you add any new maneuvers? One of those things that we, because of the problems that they had had in 73 and then in, in the, clearly the accidents that had occurred, and as a result there was certainly fear and trepidation on the part of senior naval aviation leadership that uh, the Blue Angels would, would just go away, that you wouldn't be able to sell a program like that that had that many accidents over on the hill. Unless they did something drastic. And of course, that drastic thing was all the reworks that I've talked to you about changing airplanes and the energy crisis, one, one engine airplane and, and, and all of those kind of things. But as well, we said that if you have an accident, it's probably going to mean the demise of this organization. So we're going to, uh, go at this thing in a mode wherein we're, we're certainly going to be aggressive, uh, to, Practice perfection, but we're going to do the basic maneuvers. And so, I think the first year uh, it, we worked ourselves into uh, into a, a routine that was that the airplane was capable of, uh, and and then the following years, some more maneuvers got put in. Like we didn't do the Farvel, which was the uh, was where I the leader was upside down and the other three airplanes were uh, right side up. We didn't put that in until, uh, oh, mid season in that first year. And as we got a little bit familiar, more familiar and felt the airplane out and, and, and so forth, we, uh, we put that in. And some of the solo maneuvers where they rolled towards one another and things like that, we, we didn't, we didn't put those in the first year. And, and so the second year after we felt, we had gotten through the first year, no accidents, and uh, we felt confident with ourselves and the airplane and things like that. We, we began to add a few more, a few more things, and that's when, when other things came in. Uh, we uh, went to five-plane Florida leaves and a five-plane uh, 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 line abreast uh, loop and things like that, and. And so you, you just, you just started making the, making things a little more aggressive and we tried to get maneuvers back a little bit tighter and reversals a little bit tighter. But you can, you can do that too with a second year team or a second year boss as well. So, so I think that's what you see. And then, and then as Casey uh, Jones came on and uh, some of the same guys were with him, they went to that double farvel, I think, in his second year where both the lead and the uh, slot pilot were upside down and and they changed some of the solo maneuvers to where they were doing more outside stuff like, uh, uh, negative G loops or well, not loops perhaps, but uh, all the way up to, uh, up to the vertical, uh, pushing out on those sort of things. And, uh, and, and, and so you, you started putting more of those kind of things in, but that was an evolutionary type thing. And, and I think our first year was, uh, let's get through this first year with, with basic, good, solid, good solid airmanship and good solid maneuvers and and you're able to get a tight show uh have a maneuver in front of the crowd all the time and and that sort of thing and I think that's what we did went at it went at it with aggressiveness but uh again uh minimized the risk factor I guess is what I would how I would describe the first year and it uh it continued to grow after that but we got through the first 2 years without uh without an accident, without losing anyone, we, uh, dinged a nailer on one time, as I remember. And, and, uh, uh, that, which was, which was minor and a solo pilot. Uh, we had a, a solo pilot that, uh, was very capable with the airplane and we, uh, uh, had a wing on one of the airplanes, uh, Kind of give way because he had fuel in the wing when he was doing vertical rolls, and we had never experienced this before. And clearly, McDonnell Douglas had never experienced this. But if he got he got the airplane rolling so fast, and the A4 was capable of that, that he popped some rivets in the wing while he was rolling while he was going straight up in this roll, and uh, the the speed when he did a full aileron deflection roll, the speed of that uh, roll was such that it had put fuel took fuel to the outer edges of those outer extension of the wing and actually hydraulic the wing apart uh because of the centrifugal force from that roll and popped some popped some rivets in the wing. So he came, you know, after that maneuver the airplane was leaking and the fuel gauge was going down. We went back, put it on deck and we had uh, uh go get a new wing for that airplane and i couldn't believe it that uh that a guy was able to do that in the airplane but uh he could just make that airplane roll so we had to limit the solo pilots at that particular point then we limited them to 3 3 quarter stick deflection rolls so you would cut down on that and we and we just as a rule we didn't do those kind of vertical rolls where he would get fast speed uh, fast uh, fast roll rate uh, with any fuel in the wing. So where was that, and who was the pilot? Well, the pilot was Vance Parker, and uh, we, we found it out in winter train. We found it out oh. in, in El Centro, in the desert. Didn't have that problem in a show, but they found it out early on. And the A-4 was a good uh, airplane to fly in uh, the show? The, a, the A-4 was it lasted for 13 years in the uh, demonstration environment in my estimation it was the best airplane i thought it looked great and of course that's a a beauty is in the eyes of the beholder so looks is always looks is always one of those kind of things but uh in my estimation it was a good looking airplane in the air show environment and uh for 13 years it was flown in that environment and and was very capable with that one-to-one thrust to weight ratio in the dry with the dry airplane of course it's, it, it was very maneuverable and you were able to keep your, uh, the tops of your loops in the, uh, oh, the 6,500, uh, foot range, 6,500 to 6,800 feet in the tops of most of your maneuvers and, uh, on the loops and that sort of thing. And, uh, and so, uh, your reversals were, were tighter. And, uh, you could keep airplanes in front of the crowd more consistently, so you didn't have gaps in the show, and it just, it just lent itself to, uh, a nice performing, uh, airplane. Now, the F-18, of course, is, uh, with the afterburner, they can do a loop on takeoff and some things like that. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive, too, but when we didn't have an afterburning airplane, we didn't have that, uh, those kind of options to play with. So the F-18 is, is a good airplane as well, but, uh, I, I think are, uh, and it's a little bigger than the A4 and, and all of those kind of things, but maintainability, uh, it's more sophisticated. It takes a little, probably a little more to maintain it than it, than it did the A4, but, uh, but you go over the top a little bit higher in it than you did with the A4.
0: That concludes another episode of the Blue Angel Phantoms podcast. I want to give a quick shout out to Nick Bronico, the author that recorded this conversation over 25 years ago and specifically shared it here with the Blue Angel Phantoms channel so that we could all enjoy the stories and recall of boss Tony Les, who's an absolute legend. I also want to shout out former team photographer Jim Preston, whose photos enhanced this presentation. And finally, a shout out to Boeing Images for much of the video that you saw in the presentation was from their archive. So until next time, this is Ryan Notoff from Blue Angel Phantoms, hoping that I see you at an air show real soon.